You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you are into hunting, fishing, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Uh, first off, quick apology, just that I've been MIA for a few weeks. Um, just had some stuff going on and needed to just take a quick break from the podcast um, just to kind of get everything lined back up here, get everything back on schedule. But um, going forward, we'll be back to kind of uh, your regularly scheduled program, if you will, uh, weekly episodes, uh, with some great guests coming, um, and to kind of get back into the swing of things, if you will, uh, today on the podcast, I have Shannon Waters. Uh, Shannon is the founder of 2% Certified Gastronome Meals, uh, Gastronome. Uh, if you recall, uh, I had Shannon and Matthew from, um, from Gastronome on, uh, probably a little over a year ago, um, and they had recently launched uh, at that time. And since then, they have gone through um, changes, I guess is, is the right word, but changes in a good way. Uh, and by that, I mean they have 
expanded their their offerings um, and really branched out uh, in terms of what's possible for food in the backcountry. Uh, most notably, uh, just this past week, uh, they launched uh, Instant Coffee, uh, which is I'm not going to kind of get into the weeds too much on it here. Shannon uh, does a really good job of explaining it in the episode, uh, but just something new, unique, uh, and there was nothing else like it uh, in the market, much like all of the meals um, that we've all kind of become accustomed to seeing from Gastronome. Um, and if you have not tried it, uh, what are you guys waiting for? Because they're, if you're doing any type of eating, in the back country. I mean, and hell, it doesn't even have to be the back country. Maybe you just, you know, if you're on an all day sit in a blind or something and you have the capability to boil some water, uh, do yourself a favor again, pick up uh, any, any of the gastronome meals, uh, because they're all outstanding. Uh, it does not taste like something that should come out of a bag. And I mean that, um, as a, a huge compliment because it is, it is delicious food. Um, so Shannon and I get to talk about, you know, really the changes uh, over the course of the past year and a half, how they've kind of um, continued to grow, continued to put um, new and exciting things uh, into the market, uh, possibly where things may be going. Shannon lets the cat out of the bag on a new product they have coming. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to put her on blast here if you catch it uh, throughout the course of the episode. Um, then yeah, you know what to expect, but, uh, some very cool stuff. Um, other than that, we really just get to catch up. Uh, we saw each other at the Western hunt expo, uh, back in February. We we're going to try to record then. Uh, it was just bananas out there and, and, and far too busy, um, to, to sit down and do it. And of course, by the, the time the end of the day comes, um, everyone is just absolutely exhausted. And I didn't want to ask her to have to to stay after and, and sit and talk to me for, you know, for a half hour, 45 minutes or whatever. So we got a chance to, uh, to catch up, uh, today and, uh, just, just a really good conversation. I'm really excited to see, um, what they have coming, not only in a few weeks to a few months, uh, but just, you know, two years from now, because I think the, the sky's the limit in terms of what Shannon and the team there are capable of coming out with and just making your, your backcountry eating experience uh that much better so without any further ado episode 143 with shannon waters enjoy uh before that though i'm going to tell you about my friends over at go hunt uh, if you have not signed up to be a go hunt insider now is the perfect time um as you're starting to get into the early stages of planning um maybe some in-state or out-of-state hunts uh, next year depending on where you're at now is a great time to sign up to become an insider uh, you can use code AVERAGE for that, and you're going to save 20%, I believe that's what it is, uh, on a membership there, code AVERAGE. And yeah, you're going to get draw odds, um, all this historical data to help you make the best decision possible for yourself um, when it comes to you know, where you're going to spend your, you know, your week to 10 day vacation or whatever the case is on a state hunt. So head over to gohunt.com. All right, Shannon Waters, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Thanks for having me back. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. It was, uh, it was nice to catch up for a few minutes before we started recording here. Um, you know, we had the chance to 
see each other out in Utah back in, gosh, what, early February? Does that sound mm-hmm. about right? Um, and we were going to try to record out there, but uh, I quickly learned and realized like how bananas that show is. I mean, people had told me, right? Like, oh, it's it's crazy. It's so busy. Like, wait till Saturday. It's going to be off the walls. And like, yeah, like sure enough, it was for me to go out there. Like, it was great to like meet a bunch of people who I've only talked to and things like that. It was it was great to to do that and, and spend some time with my friends from Hardside. But yeah, it's just I have to like go into that like saying, okay, Shannon, like had. At Thursday at seven o'clock, like we're gonna sit down and do this. If if you can make that work, like let's do that because yeah, to try to do something throughout the course of the day out there is impossible. Yeah, we had no idea either. We're like, oh yeah, that sounds like we can step away for the afternoon. I went to the bathroom like one time every day, um, and maybe not even one time every day. <laughs> and we were like working in constant shifts, and it was like someone was gonna go take a bite of a sandwich, like it was going to be a bite and then you had to return. So yeah, yeah it's, it was, it was wild. And it's such a, I mean, that's what Thursday, Friday, Saturday, since so, I mean, a four day show and you're looking at, you know, nine, 10 hours a day. I mean, it's, it's brutal. It right? was, I mean, I've done some trade shows in Michigan and I've done them by myself and they're not nearly as busy, but it's the same thing. It's nine or 10 hours. Like I can never leave my booth because I'm there by myself and that kind of thing. So yeah, kudos to you guys for, uh, for sticking that out. Cause it's a long weekend for sure. Yeah, we I mean, it was the three of us and everyone did great. Um, but as soon as we got home, I mean, Matthew didn't come to work for a week. And, <laughs> and I think it took me a full week to recover just to get rest and feel like I'm an ultra introvert. Um, and to just feel like, wow, I talked to so many people, I, enough people for me for like three years. So it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys drive down for that? Uh, yeah, we did. It wasn't a bad drive. What is it? Five or six hours? Yeah. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. But to make that drive home Sunday after four days or if you waited till Monday, but either way, that's just one more thing on top of all of it. Yeah, it was It was something. It was definitely worth it for us to be able to connect with that audience. Um, generally speaking, we get a lot of Montana people in our retail store, so I see them all the time and I get to connect with them at like our local shows, like the BHA rendezvous and stuff. But I don't see a lot of the Utah folks or a lot of people traveled there from all over the country. So a lot of first timers being exposed to gastronome and that was really great for us. Yeah. It's Salt Lake city. I mean, it's pretty in terms of kind of the West is to find kind of a, a centralized meeting point. That's probably about the best you're going to do, um, where it's, it's fairly accessible in, you know, half day's drive or a day's drive, you know, depending on what you consider a day's drive, but to get there. But I noticed that too, was, it was a lot of people from Wyoming, from Colorado that were like making a long weekend of it, right. They were coming in, they were hitting the show for a few days and then heading back home. So you just, you just mentioned, uh, BHA rendezvous. I know you guys just took a part in that last weekend. How'd that go? It was great. Um, Very different vibe for us than the Western Hunter Expo, mostly because a lot of folks at the BHA know who we are. And it was more of like reconnecting with our direct community that we have known for a handful of years. That was our third time um, going to Missoula for that event. So it was more of like, hey, guys, how are you? Tell us what's new. Not like, what is this? I've never heard of this. So a very different type of conversation and more like building our relationships with um, some of the nonprofit chapters that we work with, um, in there and some of the people that we don't get to see that often, but we have had a three-year relationship with. So 
really great to be around everybody and talk all things public land conservation um, in a in a more relaxed vibe than Western Hunter. Western Hunter was like really ton of people, very aggressive. No one knew who we were. So we were doing a lot of storytelling about who we are and sampling versus the BHA where everyone's like, I've tried everything. I love everything. I don't need to sample <laughs> anything. So more catch up than sales. Yeah. And I think that as time goes on, like maintaining those relationships is always, is always key, um, you know, in terms of kind of your customer base and that slower pace, low key vibe has got to be a welcome relief for, for you guys, especially after, you know, almost, I mean, you probably feel like for four straight days, you're just repeating yourself. You're having the same conversations over and over again. It just, it it gets very tiresome. Yeah. You know, there's like a, a yes and no to that. Like for me, the story is so integral to my, my being at this point that I don't mind like saying it over and over again. Um, what's, what's just like, it's just a different feeling catching up with someone and not explaining the product than standing around all days explaining the product. Um, and a lot of people need the whole background to be able to understand why your food is better. Um, and some people just need one bite. So the, just a, like a totally different type of conversation, neither of which I mind, but, um, I wouldn't say that one's more, more like tiring than the other, but it, it is a lot of storytelling for sure. Now, would you say when you're talking, to to customers who are are new to gastronome who maybe they've only heard of you guys in passing or maybe they haven't heard of you guys at all um you know like at the at the um at the expo there is there kind of do you notice when you're you know kind of explaining the story and you know your story and the story of gastronome that at some point you kind of see the light bulb go on their light bulb kind of go off in their head like where they're like oh so this isn't like everything else that I've been eating, right? Like, I mean, or is it they listen and then they try it and they're like, oh, okay. I mean, what is, what does that, that conversation kind of look like? I think it, it depends on the person and how they approach. Um, because you, you just get different experiences with different people. Like some people will walk up to your booth and be like, so tell me why you're different. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. And, and if it, if they've got that type of, um, approach, I generally just say, well, we use food. Um, and that, and that, um, usually breaks the ice and they stop, you know, like prying to like, get me to give them a spiel. And then I'll, I'll talk with them about the brand story and what we do. That's different. But if it's that kind of approach, I'm like, well, we start with food and that's it. Um, and that usually gets them to laugh or like at least chill out. Um, and then if it's somebody that, um, you know, is listening to the story, generally speaking, if they're if they're like well acquainted with food, they already get it. When I say like, we start with food. Um, if it's somebody who hunts a ton and is eating a lot in the backcountry, um, I'll start asking them about what they normally eat and how that works with their digestion. And we'll go into conversations about that. And, um, there's so many reasons that I could go into that gastronome like solves all the problems. Um, so it really just depends on the person. And most of the time that light bulb moment occurs within a matter of seconds, whether they're tasting the food or it's like the first thing I say. Um, but the light bulb moment is right when we start talking because our product is so different. Um, it is. I don't really it's, have to like sell them on something. Yeah. And it's, it's funny to me, like that you have to kind of preface things or like start conversations sometimes saying, yeah, we use food, right? Because like, <laughs> 
Like if if like let you know, let's quick role play here, but not actually. I approach you and I was like, so tell me, tell me why this is different than you know Joe, you know this brand over here, or that brand over there, and you say, oh well, we use food. Like for me, that immediately like one puts me in my place. Thank you. The second yeah. would be like what the hell have I been putting in my body for all of these years while I'm out hunting? You know, if I'm, if you're bringing dehydrated food, it's like, wait a second. So I'm not like, <laughs> I feel like at that point, like you really have someone's attention because the first time if you, if you tell someone like, well, we start with food, I don't know what they start with or, you know, I do, but it's, it's not food kind of thing, right? Like that's, that's such a great approach to it. Yeah. You know, I think, um, like, of course the other people are using food and, whatever way they, um, come across it. What I like that line is just meant to like get a funny reaction out of them. And also they know what I'm talking about. They're never like, wait, don't they have food in their meals? No one's ever like confused by that statement. They like laugh and they're like, I totally get it. Um, because everybody's using food, but like we literally start with the raw ingredient. Like I go to the ranch where our cows are raised and I go pick up literal food. Um, and, you know, it's, it's way bigger than one step of knowing like who a supply chain comes from. Like everybody knows where Cisco, like you can see a Cisco truck. I like can shake the hand of my rancher. I can go pick the basil if I want to. I have picked our basil before. Um, so like starting with food means something so much greater to me if we dive into it. Um, but for like the average person who's like, what's different. I'm like, we use food and they think it's funny. They also know the difference. Like I know other people use food too. It's not like I'm ignorant to the fact that there's actual food in their bags. It's just a very different approach. <laughs> well, and I think also one of the things that, you know, as a, you know, as a user of your product, that is, I don't know if reassuring is the right word, but that's, I guess, reassuring, comforting, whatever, is like knowing that you are a chef, right? Like you're not just some big company that's just, you know, weighing ingredients or, you know, adding this much of this, this much of that, and then just making sure like it, it meets the requirements for the bag, sealing it in on down, you know, the assembly line that it goes. I think that there's, there's something to be said for someone who puts a lot of thought and care into, you know, not only the ingredients, but like every meal that you guys offer, like has a purpose, right? I know that, and and we'll get into this here shortly, but you know, since the first time we talked, you guys have launched, oh gosh, at least I feel like a handful of new products, um, you know, since then. And what is, what is your approach when it comes to, you know, creating a new dish, creating a new meal? And how do you know if it's one that you, you know, you guys are, you know, testing and things like that at the store and you go, yeah, this is it. Or no, this one probably isn't it for us. What does that, that kind of process look like? Well, I think, when we launched the first five meals, I had no understanding of what our target market was or even what people in the backcountry really wanted. Like I was my target market and I was trying to solve my eating issues in the backcountry really for myself and like my direct peer group. So I created a menu that hit all these different notes, um, basically based on flavor profile. And now with a little bit more, um, time behind us, I've used, a, I, I've used and been able to gather a lot of data points from our customer base as it continues to grow. So when we launched the five, it was like, these are my personal things that I like. And 
I hope like, wow, I really hope that works. And it did. Um, luckily a lot of people like what I like, but then when we were crafting a breakfast line, it was like, we need one option that meets this type of palette and one option that meets that type of palette. Like I'm a more sweet than savory person in the morning. Um, but you ask the next guy and they're more savory than a sweet person. Um, and then thinking about those different types of personas and what they're looking for, like high calorie protein, rich versus, um, lower calorie, really satiating, but not super protein and calorie rich. Um, so those two meals were designed very purposefully, but then I start with flavor then it's like, cool. Where does my mind go when I think of like satiating and warming? And, um, then I, then I start to craft recipes around that thought. Um, and the same thing with the two flavors that we're launching here in a couple weeks, more like a couple months, um, that, that kind of happened. The biggest difference at, in year two for us was that I crowdsourced, um, ideas that people wanted to see. And we've had such an awesome community of eaters who like send us ideas, but then are like, Hey, this packaging, I like this when I have it on my packaging, do you guys ever consider, um, changing that? So we've taken everything from like recipe ideas to how people like their packaging into consideration for the next flavors. Um, but yeah, we'll be launching two new ones that are most requested by our people. Now, are those going to be breakfast or more like your first five, like more what I would consider like end of the day dinner type meals? We have one breakfast and one dinner. Okay. I won't ask anymore because I know you're not going to tell me. Yeah, we do. We have a Kickstarter that's launching on April 4th. Um, You can either find that on our Instagram or sign up for a newsletter and be a part of it. It gets you the first meals, the first round of um, both meals before anyone else. So check that out. Oh, right on. Yeah. April 4th. It's a good day. It's my birthday, actually. Well, happy birthday and happy Kickstarter. Yeah. I'll have to be sure to, uh, to give you guys a present on my birthday. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, like as you were kind of explaining your thought process for creating a new meal, um, I started to think about, you know, some of the other brands that are out there and how your thought process was, you know, like, what do I like? Or like, you know, I hope that other people have kind of the same palate or the same, you know, taste, uh, taste buds, I guess, whatever, um, that I have. And, you know, like you said, like it was a very positive feedback that, a lot of people shared that, you know, same, um, sentiment, I guess, uh, when it came to the foods that you were making. And I almost compare like everyone else is kind of like what you make your kids for dinner, right? Like it doesn't have to be like great. It just has to like satisfy the masses, like mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, right? Like if you think about like things that you make your kids and it's like, you're not eating it because it tastes good. You're eating it because one, you can make a lot of it really easy. Um, it's it's like going to, it's and it's, yes, it's also yeah. cheap, but then, you know, when, you know, mom and dad sit down for dinner, they're like, well, I don't want mac and cheese and chicken nuggets. I want a steak and some asparagus or, you know, some, some good pasta or something like that. And it's like, that's, that's kind of how I look at it is you guys are, you're the adult dinner. Right. Like you're, <laughs> you're the big boy dinner. And I think that that, that, yeah. And anyone who's tried it, um, I feel like would, especially if they have kids, like they would certainly kind of echo that same sentiment because yeah, you can put stuff into your body. It doesn't mean it's going to make you feel good. doesn't mean it's going to do what food should do. And, and that is fuel you, you know? Yeah. Um, 
it's a funny way to think about it for like um, the adult dinner. Cause I've toyed around with the idea of making a kid's line of food. That is just like a more basic um, meets your needs of like satiating calorie rich, but like super palatable for kids, like nothing green, nothing like super seasoned. Um, <laughs> but I'm not totally sure. Like I, when I think about cooking for my future family, like I don't know that I can necessarily dumb down the way that I cook. I, I don't, I don't really have a lot of capability to do that. I, I don't think about flavors in a way that allows me to do that. Yeah. But I think that's a good thing. I don't think you should, I mean, this is completely unsolicited advice, but I don't think you should necessarily have to, right? I think that what you do is really good and there's no point in, in like you said, kind of dumbing it down or, or, you know, making it less than what it is, because I think that's what makes gastronome so great is that it's, it's high end, it's high quality compared to everything else that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. Even when we're developing some of the things that people have requested, which, um, aren't necessarily things that I'm super familiar with making, but, um, they're like really homey dishes that I've, you know, my background is fine dining. So I definitely haven't made them in the fine dining scene. Um, and trying to get to know the dishes through like eating out at restaurants that have them or asking people to make it for me the way that their parents made it for them, that they love so much and eating that and trying to grasp the flavor profile that they're after. Um, even when I go to recreate it, I'm like, oh, it needs a red wine sauce with rosemary and black pepper. And they're like, oh, what? <laughs> well, we're just going to level up here. We're just going to like make sure that it's the best version of this that you've ever had. It's not like the same one. It's one that you like stop in your tracks and are like, I've never had a better version. Yeah. And it's funny too, that it's one, it's got to be tough. Like when you kind of do the crowdsourcing and you're kind of asking for, you know, like what would, you know, what would you guys like to see as, as the consumer, as the customer? And, you know, there's certain meals, uh, I feel like growing up that are kind of staples. They're, they're regulars in, you know, the household in the rotation for, you know, the week of dinners and things like that, like spaghetti, uh, maybe lasagna, like kind of very comfort food, you know, very at home dishes that you grow up eating. And like, that's all that, you know, for the most part. Right. And yeah. you think that that is just so good, like, you know, and then you try something that actually is good. And you're like, what was that shit I was eating for 20 years before I moved out of my house? And I've been missing out on this. And it, it's got to be tough to, yeah, kind of like what you just talked about in leveling up, um, you know, kind of some of these dishes that people want you to try to recreate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's like challenging but not like food is food like the reason i make good food is so that people feel good um and understanding like what about these elements make you feel really good is the first place to start and then i can like tweak it to be a bit more refined or or maybe just have some more complexity that you didn't expect to show up in the same spot um so for me it's it's not necessarily like oh that's really hard it's like this is an exciting challenge to show you what I'm capable with these same ingredients and the same flavor profiles when like a little bit of extra care goes into it. Um, and then people are like, and this isn't a bag. So I think it's, it's kind of fun. How long is the process for you when you're creating a new dish? I mean, how many, and it's probably different for each meal, but how many different iterations, you know, from the, you know, time that, you know, from the inception of the idea to the point where you and the team are like, 
okay, this is this is really good. This is really solid. Let's let's really consider putting this in a bag and 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 you know pushing it out to the masses. I mean, in the beginning, it was it was definitely harder because I was battling like not knowing anything about the drying processes, um, especially like freeze drying. I had no concept of um, what that might even entail and what that would do to ingredients and flavor profiles. But now that I have um, just a lot more of those ingredients have gone through my my um, kitchen now and I understand how they work, it's a bit more efficient. But that being said, like the biscuits and gravy had like 25 iterations um, and like it, I couldn't even understand what was happening. Oh, I just spilled one, didn't I? You're, you're smiling over there. You're like, oh, she did it. <laughs> um, well, there, you know, one biscuits and gravy. Um, but I wasn't going to yeah, say anything. I was just going to yeah, let you just breeze right past that. Why are you so happy? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, so now that the biscuits and gravy is out there, that one took a really long time. Um, mostly because, I couldn't figure out like some textural things that were going on. Um, and that's such a simple dish that I was, I was definitely like struggling where to find an opportunity to make it richer and better. Um, but once I got what I needed and figured it out, it it's really amazing. Um, but yeah, that, that certainly took a lot of time. So that probably is like a six to nine month span for, Wow. One of the more challenging recipes and then maybe closer to like four to six for something that I have a better grasp on. Do you find that, I mean, like you just said, the, the biscuits and the gravy, it's, it's, it's a more simple meal. Do you find that the more simple meals are, are more difficult to get right, let's say, or to perfect as opposed to one, you know, like I think of like, um, like the, the pesto that it just has so many different flavors in it. That's just, it, it's very complex. Like is one more difficult than the other when it comes to kind of getting it right? No, I think it's more like biscuits are such a specific thing that people understand. It's like a very familiar product. Um, and when like, I'm always trying to answer what people are missing and what is wrong with the current products out there. Um, and when people really wanted biscuits and gravy, like it, it was so, there were so many requests for it that it was like impossible to not make it. Um, but I was like, so what do you like? And um, people gave me examples of things that they thought were, you know, like edible or ones that they currently used or the way they make it at home. So when I dove into those things and they also told me what they didn't like about it, um, those are hard to address. The problems that they were having with the existing products were not because the companies like just suck. It was because it's really, really hard to answer the things like the textural differences that are happening and to actually make a biscuit that rehydrates and is not a hockey puck. Like that's going to take or, some time. Or complete mush. Or complete mush. So um, figuring out that w took a lot of time. Um. But yeah, it, I don't know. It's sort of, it depends, depends on the, on the thing ingredients. To, to address. Yeah. But no, a more complex flavor isn't easier or less easy than a simple one. The simple ones shock me because I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this and how to make this more <laughs> elevated. But then I, I tend to figure it out. Well, and that's another one that the biscuits and gravy, and I promise I won't <laughs> cry anymore after this, that it feels like 
everyone probably has their own version of what it should taste like, right? So trying to come up with a product that you feel like is going to appeal to everyone the most, right? Like the best version that it can be, but also the best version that it can be that for everyone, not maybe for a smaller demographic or anything like that. Yeah. And we do, we get like pretty aggressive with our field testing. I think um, we've sent samples to so many people now. I, I don't really keep track of how many samples we've sent out. And um, the, the only, we will not stop until the only feedback is this is amazing. Um, and so that has to meet so many different palettes. Like some people, no one had any um, input on this one, but if someone was like, I wish it had more parsley, like the, the thing that I'm used to eating always has more parsley. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it into consideration. I'd be like, cool, you're one in a million. Yeah. Um, or like that's how your mom made it. Um, but if enough people, had that, I'd be like, okay, I have to look into why they're saying this and what, what that changes about the dish in general. Um, and if I'm comfortable making it my way, or if I want to make it the way that most people prefer, but with the biscuits and gravy, this last round that we've been sending out to field testers, um, they're just like, so when can I have it? (laughs) That's a good, that's a good follow-up question, right? Yeah. It's that good that, yeah, people are like, okay, when can I actually stock up on this? Yeah. So you started off with the five main um, dishes. What are you guys at now? One, two, three, four, five, six. Um, we have six free. Nope. I can't even count. Five, six, seven, eight. We have eight freeze-dried meals, um, a line of trail mixes, ice cream sandwiches, and uh, instant coffee. Two things. One, the ice cream sandwich was great. I picked one up. <laughs> as a little late night snack, uh, as things were winding down on Saturday, uh, back at the expo, but the coffee, this is something that you guys just launched last week. And I was super excited when I saw it because obviously we didn't talk about that at all. I mean, I was as surprised as everyone else. Um, walk me through that process. Tell me first off, you know, tell the listeners what the product is besides, you know, just coffee, uh, what makes it so unique. Uh, but then what that process looked like. Yeah. So our instant coffee is very one of a kind. Um, and we approached it like anything we try to approach, which is what's missing in the market. What are people upset about and how can we be a benefit by solving the problem? Um, so looking at the existing marketplace of what already existed, like everyone's seen the sachet tea sachet styles that you have to like dip in your mug and wait for it to steep and then pull it out. Now you have wet trash or you have the little vials that you know don't make a cup of coffee unless you had two of them. And then you have garbage that you're packing out and they taste like an old freezer. Um, so we were addressing a lot of things between flavor and use and waste. And um, all of those things came together. It took us about a year to launch the product and we did launch very suddenly and unexpectedly. I really didn't um, prepare for it because it just, um, when it came together, it came together quickly and we just went for it. So we launched an instant coffee product that fully dissolves in the packet that it comes in. So you drop the pouch in hot or cold water, which was another thing we wanted to address. And the whole thing dissolves and it is by far the best tasting instant coffee on the market. And I have tasted all of them a lot. Um, and so just the process of refining the flavor and then refining the use and making sure we nailed all the things that were missing in the market, um, to make ours the best took a little time. And then once, once we were done, we sent it. So 
couple follow-ups there when it comes to just like your everyday coffee, right? Like you make a couple, you get up in the morning, you make a cup of coffee. What is your process? Are you, do you like the Keurig? Do you just do like a drip, a pour over, just like make a pot of coffee kind of standard stuff? What is, what is your process? Oh, I am a cappuccino girl. I have an espresso okay. machine and a milk okay. steamer. And, um, I'm pretty, pretty committed to that. But in the back country, like I didn't have a solid solution because all of it tasted pretty bad. I knew that I had to do something about it, but in general, I was, a I was, a like the little rip and open, pour in and stir, um, and kind of grin and bear person. Okay. And the reason I asked that, uh, like if, if you were, you know, kind of a, a, a strict coffee drinker, how you prepared it, because obviously there's lots of different ways to, to brew a cup of coffee and everyone has their own preference. I personally like pour over, um, I got turned on to it a few years ago and I will spend the 10 minutes to make it that way in the morning. It's just, especially if you have, you know, good beans, fresh beans that you can grind yourself. Like I think it's for me drinking coffee as much as I do, it's, it's just far and away better that way personally, in my opinion. So I was curious as to, you know, depending upon how you drink coffee, you drink espresso or cappuccino, which delicious by the way i don't drink enough of those because i feel like it just has me wired for like three days um so how does how would you say your instant coffee compares to you know like if i were to just go make a regular cup of coffee here at my house or just the average person i think the greatest thing about it is it's like unintelligible difference like you can't tell the difference between a cup of coffee and our instant cup and what was super fun about the bha is we were kind of debuting our coffee there and we were just giving out mugs of coffee and um, some people knew about the instant and some people didn't. And you couldn't tell the difference between our instant and um, and a regular cup of coffee. And that was pretty cool. So, um, you know, I think that took a lot of dialing in on the flavor profile front um, to figure out how to make it so it didn't taste like um, kind of just freezer burn coffee. But I think we achieved it. So... I would say if you're drinking drip coffee at home, you're probably not going to notice the difference between this instant and your drip coffee. If you're someone like me, who's drinking espresso with milk mixed in, like the back country is just a different place. And I drink black coffee in the back country because that's what I got. I'm not bringing a milk steamer yeah. out there. Yeah. I, I'm certainly excited to, to give it a try because yeah, I've had, yeah, some of the other instant coffees out there and, it's one of those things like it fills a need or it fills a void of, you know, having coffee that's super easy to to make while you're out there, but it's never good. I never enjoy it. Right. It's yeah. just, it's hot and it has caffeine. Right. So you check a couple boxes right there. And that's, I like that you took the same approach to coffee that you did to food, right? You want something that you can enjoy because, you know, if you wake up and you have a good cup of coffee, like day's a little bit better, right? Then you wake up and, you know, you, you know, your, your coffee's just old. It's stale. It doesn't have a lot of flavor to it. And you're just like, shit is terrible, right? Like, why do I continue to drink this? But no, I'm, I'm certainly excited to, um, to give it a shot. Now, are you guys, uh, like partnering, are you roasting your own beans? Or are you partnering with, uh, with a roaster locally there? 
Yeah, we took the same approach kind of that we take to like when we're sourcing beef or pork or basil, like we start thinking about the farmer first and what's nearby. We did the same thing with coffee and we're like, okay, what's our favorite coffee in this vicinity and who's doing it the absolute best? So we called our friends at Ghost Town, um, which is in Bozeman and started chatting with them about the concept of it and they were really into it. And we worked on a really great flavor profile of um, roasting the beans together. And what we created, I think is amazing. So yeah, we, we did the same thing. We kept it super local and worked with the best product we could get our hands on. Yeah. What flavor profile would you say the coffee has or like what tasting notes would you say, would you say it has without sounding too pretentious here? Yeah. It's funny. Cause when I, like all of our meals have sort of tasting notes underneath them on our website. And I was like, I really don't want to do this. It's like, it is a little bit pretentious for what's happening, but if you have to, like, if you're going to sit there and you're going to evaluate it, it's like a little bit nutty, sort of chocolatey, rich. Um, Say no more. Like, Say no yeah, more. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty intense, flavorful, and um, and it smells great. But that's how I think coffee should be. Like, I, I mean, personally, that, that that's how I, li- I like something, not necessarily like this super dark roast, but like something that's just, it just... You take a drink and you're like, yeah, that's coffee, right? Like sometimes you just, you take a drink and you're like, yeah, that's, that's what it should taste like. And yeah, no, it's that, that's super exciting. And I, it, it seems like as time goes on and it, it'll be kind of one of my questions here in a second, but you guys are just really expanding your offerings and kind of really rounding out anything that someone going into the back country for whatever reason may want and or need when it comes to when it comes to their food. Yeah. And when I like when I started the business, I was it's gastronome meals technically rather than gastronome. And I was like, is this too narrow for what I'm trying to do? And I didn't know the answer at the time because I was like, I think I'm only going to make meals. So it's gastronome meals. Now everybody just calls it gastronome, which is great because we don't just make meals anymore. We make coffee, we make trail mix. Like we we're doing all sorts of things that aren't meals. Um, And when I think about what our mission is, it has nothing to do with like this solid little meal corner. I always said we want to change what's possible for flavor and quality in the backcountry. And with that, our options are like endless. Like I I will never stop thinking about the needs in the backcountry of people when, you know, like maybe people are obsessed with tea in the backcountry, which I'm pretty sure is not a thing, but if that was a thing, then we would be going there and we would be trying to figure out how to make the best of that. Um, so as long as there's improvements to be made in, in flavor and quality in the backcountry, whether that's drinking or eating, whatever people are doing with it, I'm always gonna, I'm always gonna keep diving into it. Yeah. Did you think when you started the business, that you would be where you're at now? I mean, did you think things would snowball? I mean, I think in the back of our mind, you know, anyone who's who's starting a business and is, you know, really, truly passionate about it, like they have kind of the, you know, the picture like, man, this could be huge. Like this is going to be, you know, you have all the positive kind of imagery of, of where things are going to be, you know, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, whatever the case is. Did you expect to be where you're at, I guess, this quickly and for, you know, consumers and, and people you know, not just, you know, hunters, but backpackers, you know, you know, whether you're going on back, you know, backcountry fishing trips or, you know, you're just going out camping and you want to take minimal amount of food with you. Like, did you see it getting to this point this quickly? 
Um, no, I really didn't have a concept for what was going to happen. And I purposefully didn't plan, like I didn't have a five-year plan or a 10-year plan or any of that because I didn't even know if it was going to work. I didn't know if what I was making mattered to anybody. So I, I really just didn't plan for the future. Um, I planned for the moment. And, um, if the proof of concept, like a year of trying to run this business was functional, then I would carry it forward. And, um, every year it's just like, okay, this is still working. And how do we grow and plan for the next year in a way that's sustainable and makes sense for us? Um, so no, I, I don't think I had a concept for what it would be like now. And we're only two and a half years in, um, I'm certainly happy with where it's gotten, but I didn't honestly think it would last more than a year. I was like, I'm going to run out of money and everyone's going to hate this. And I don't even know what I'm doing. And as, as we continued to grow, I found out that I could teach myself a lot. Um, and everybody liked it. So it was, yeah, it, it was, um, kind of a shot in the dark and it seems to be working. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny taking, kind of, I don't even want to say non-traditional approach because, you know, a lot of times you see some of these businesses and like, oh, my five-year plan is X, my 10-year plan is Y, right? And they're, they, I, I realize you have to have, you know, goals to some degree, right? You, could, you know, whether it's, okay, we're going to launch the business and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to develop, you know, five meals and then we're going to put those to market. You know, you do all the necessary testing and you, you take the necessary steps along the way, but then you say, okay, we're going to get to that point. We're going to see how it goes. We're going to see how it's received. And then we're going to reevaluate, right? Do we put out, you know, now you, you know, you transition into some breakfast options. You know, you've got the ice cream sandwiches, some more options coming. Yeah. You know, you just launched the coffee. So it's like, I, me personally, like looking at it and, and hearing and, you know, just knowing what I know about gastronome, your story, the story of the company, more or less. I think that's, that's almost a perfect way to, to approach it, right? Because you have to kind of stay nimble, stay agile, have the ability to, you know, adjust on the fly or, you know, pivot, I guess, when you need to, to, okay, now we're going to offer breakfast and now we're going to offer coffee and, and just making sure that you can always kind of fill that next void that's out there when it comes to, like you said, good food in the backcountry. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it, it depends on what a traditional approach to a business is in my former life in my former business, um, I would open restaurants and bars for people. And part of that was always having a very solid business plan with a five-year plan um, and a lot of benchmark goals along the way that I would present to them. And when it came to my business, I was like, absolutely not. I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> like, I don't want to be boxed in by whatever that says. And I also like, I didn't want to see the numbers. Like if I saw the numbers, I wouldn't have done it. And yeah that's just the truth. And if someone had told me at two years, this is what it would look like, I wouldn't do it. Um, so I, I knew that I probably couldn't pencil it all out and it would work. Um, and if I saw the numbers, I would be so discouraged that I would have no business being in it. But I think that helped me get through it because every, you know, every month I'm, I'm not like, ignoring our finances. I'm looking at them pretty meticulously every month um, and making sure that we're good. But if someone told me these were the numbers, I just wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have um, gotten as far as I, I've gotten. I would have turned back. So I think I did it very purposefully to not discourage myself in any way and to just grind through it until it looks different. Do you think that that approach with, you know, if, 
if someone would have told you, you know, three years ago, this is where you'll where you will be in two and a half years, that you probably wouldn't have done it. Do you think that's just because you have so much skin in the game at this point that, and you're so passionate about it that you're like, it's maybe not where a traditional five year plan should say I should be, but I'm happy with where we're at. We're continuing to grow. We're continuing to launch great products. Like we're we're kind of we're building steam like you're gaining momentum it just might not be at the pace that maybe you would have presented you know in your previous line of work yeah i mean no i think if i presented somebody a business plan in my previous line of work and was like you will make money for this amount of years and um you don't really need a plan to get there it it just wouldn't have worked like i had very clear plans on how to get there um but it's not that like i have too much skin in the game now to turn back it's like this was in my DNA to do this and there was going to be nothing that stopped me. Um, and if I had a bunch of reasons not to, and was like looking at the numbers and thinking about all the things I'd have to sell or give up to be able to make the business function, um, it would have, it would have just hurt more. Um, but now no, there, I can't do something else. It's inside me to be able to do this and I won't stop until, I just won't stop. So it's hard to answer that. Like, it's not about the money for me. It's something that I'm so driven to do for reasons I can't put a finger on. Um, like that, that business is my home. It's where I go to feel like I'm at home and everything that we're doing feels like a part of me. So I don't know. I don't know what, what the money would have to say for me not to do it. It would be really hard. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand what you're saying and, and what your, what your mindset is there. If so, a lot of times people will say, when I don't know, it might have been like Gary V or you know, someone out there on Instagram or social media or something that's I'm gonna butcher the quote, but it's like if you go into a project or a business and you have a plan B, you've already failed, kind of yeah. thing, right? Like, and that kind of seems like I don't want to say that that was your approach, but it seems like that was kind of your mindset, right? Like, you were determined and you were passionate. So you're like, I'm going to make this work. And just by what you said and you know how it's just, it's in you, like that's part of your life now. Like I can, I can totally kind of see where that seems like it was kind of your mindset. Like I'm, we're going to do this and it's going to work. Yeah. And I mean, in the beginning, like it, it, it still is just me. I'm the only owner, but there's only three of us total and one of them still part-time. So in the beginning, it was definitely very much just me and all of the financing has come from me and, um, a home that I sold and a business that I sold to make it all work. And when it comes down to it, like there is no fail for me, it is not going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, having a plan B, like, what's that going to do? Give me an out. Like, I don't need an out. I, this is my out. This is the only thing, um, that needs to work. So yeah, that's just my, I love that. I, yeah. I love that, that there, the, the, there is no out. This is my out. Like, no, yeah. no I, I like that. So <clears throat> Shannon, before I let you get out of here, uh, just a few more questions for you. Knowing what you, you mentioned about kind of y- y- the, the planning or, or the forecasting of the future, like, do you have like a, a big picture and, and this, that you might not even be thinking about it, but five years from now, you know, you're, you're at this point, you're, you're knocking on the door of 10, 10 years of producing, you know, amazing quality meals. Do you have like this idea in mind of, okay, we're going to have, you know, let's just throw kind of, you know, 
make believe numbers. Like we're going to have 10 breakfast options. We're going to have, you know, 20 different, um, dinner options. We're going to have, you know, the trail mix. You're going to have, you know, maybe you have different dessert options besides the ice cream sandwich. You know, now you have coffee, you have cappuccino, you know, you have all of these things. Like, do you have kind of this idea of, of what maybe this business is capable of or, or what you and the team are capable of being able to, to, to produce as time goes on? You know, when I think about our expansion, I don't think about like a never ending role of menu items. When I think about expansion, it's more of like what are our production capabilities in this moment? Like we constantly sell out. Um, and every year that we've been open, we've sold out. Um, so when I, when I think about expanding, it's not like, oh, endless series of flavor launches. It's like, okay, expanding means expanding our production capabilities. And um, that's not in our immediate future because we have um, a five-year lease on the space that I'm at. And I want to live that out and do everything that we're capable of doing in our current kitchen. Um, but I'll continue to push the limits on what we're, we're capable of doing within those bounds. And then after that, I'm not sure we, we have had conversations about it at work. Like what would this look like? And what would that type of expansion look like? And what would we need to get there? Um, and for me, it's, you know, like what we're doing is working and is really good. I don't know that I need to expand to the levels that maybe demand would ask us to, but you never know. Um, so far it's been self-funded and some bigger leaps would require further funding. And I like it being my business that no one else has a say in. So, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we know what expansion looks like in the future, but I do know that I want it to be bigger. And I do know that I, I probably won't ever stop making it bigger and better. So I can't answer it now, but I bet if we have this conversation in five years, we won't be sitting in the same kitchen and, it'll be a very different thing. No, well, um, I'm certainly excited for, for that time and to continue to watch gastronome meals Meals. grow. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Meals, uh, grow because, um, it's been really cool. Um, you know, from the first time that, uh, I spoke with you and Matthew, gosh, probably over a year ago, I would say at this point to see where you're at now and to see, how well it's just been received through people that I know, through people that, you know, you see on social media and things like that and how everyone just, you know, rants and raves about how great it is. And I remember before we recorded the first podcast, you kind of made me do homework. If you recall, you, you sent me a bag of, uh, the sausage rigatoni and you sent me a bag of competitor X. Um, and you're like, just eat both before we record eat both and then it'll give you like everything that we'll talk about will make complete sense and you know from that first bite i was i i just remember thinking like oh my god like how is this in a bag that i just boiled water and poured on top of stirred let it sit and then just dove in like it was you guys are doing a great job well i guess that's the easiest way to put it thanks yeah i appreciate it um and i appreciate you taking kindly to my rather aggressive marketing moves, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And it's great to have these relationships as the years go on. And, um, as you've get gotten to know Matthew, who's, um, one of three people that works at gastronome and just seeing what he's capable of as well. And it's just been very cool to build it and make friends along the way that get to see it. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. 
Well, real quick, Shannon, where can, if people are listening to this and it's the first time they're, they're hearing about gastronome, A, shame on you, but B, where can <laughs> they, uh, where can they, you know, find gastronome at and where can they pick up some, um, some of your meals? Um, we sell on our website, gastronomemeals.com and we have a retail store in Bozeman. Um, you can look that up on Google and come visit us. We're open Monday through Friday and those are your two ways to get it. Perfect. Oh, and you can follow us on Instagram. That's where we'll launch like flavor announcements. Sometimes we have like secret menu items that are going around. Um, any product launches happen there. Some interesting news happens there. Give giveaways, stuff like that. So Instagram is gastronome meals as well. Perfect. Well, Shannon, thank you again for taking some time this evening. It was great catching up and uh, look forward to doing this again in hopefully not five years, hopefully before then. Um, but yeah. we can talk about all the great things that you guys have done um, from this point forward. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Take care. All right. Well, thank you again to Shannon for uh, taking some time to join me today. I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Hardside Hydration, Stone Glacier, Go Hunt, and as always, 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you're going to see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media where it's going to be only positive conservation driven content landing uh, in your feeds there. So something that you'll certainly enjoy. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Sorry again for the uh, couple week hiatus there. Uh, but as I mentioned, we'll be back uh, on track every week uh, going forward. So until next week, remember, stay safe out there and conservation starts with you. you.